gemerkt. I'm gonna give it here a second. I feel like I need that audio that's like going around where like influencers side alive and they're like waiting for people to join and they're like looking at the comments and they're like, you love my net, thank you. It's Vivian Westwood. If anyone knows what I'm talking about, you can give me a shout out. <laughs> Cause we like to give everybody time to come in. Um, so welcome everybody. Today is Rosh Chodesh Uh It is Thank you, Hashem. Hello. Amazing song, Rekhom Badisa, and an incredible, incredible album that was dropped today. Wow. Uh, getting a lot of positive feedback, a lot of new songs, a lot of new artists, and I promised you that tonight we're going to be tackling the song where Yaakov Klein, um, Balei Tshuva, Anuro Tzimliyot, Balei Tshuva. So for those of you who Oh, welcome, Bernice. She made it. <laughs> um, for those of you who got to listen to the CD, please send us your feedback. We've been getting incredible feedback. Um, and we are going to get started. Um, can we give away a Never Alone sweatshirt? <laughs> um, I think we'll save that for a different live. This one we're going to be learning on. But um, send me a message. Welcome. Is that Yaakov on TWH Nation? Okay, so let's get started. We ended off last week. We spoke about the different challenges that the Viceroy had in trying to find the princess. And the first time around, he um, messed up because he ate from the apple tree and he fell asleep for one year. Then he got up and then he found the princess and the princess said, no, you made a big mistake. But this time I'm going to make it... Um, can I give swag away? Sorry. Um, maybe at the end of the class, if you stick around. Um, but this time around, she said, I'm going to make it a little bit easier for you. I'm going to allow you to eat, but you just can't fall asleep. And then he sees a river that flows red with wine and he drinks from it. And he falls asleep for 70 years. And that was where we left off. So now the princess is sitting in her palace and she is waiting for the Viceroy to come save her. And he's nowhere to be found. So at this point, the princess takes a step and she goes out to actually find him. So it says that many troops passed with a procession and equipment that accompanied them. And the servant who was on the side of the Viceroy at all this time, it says that he actually hid um, from the chariot and um, he did not want to be there while this interaction was happening. Um, the procession stopped nearby, the princess descended and she sat next to the Viceroy and she recognized him and she shook him, but, she, but he did not wake. So the first time around, he got up himself, he brushed off his, you know, the dirt, he fell asleep for a year, he went to the palace to go find the princess. This time around, it was so deep his mistake that the princess had to actually come and locate him, and he was sleeping. And it says something very interesting. It says that the, the servant hid. And if you go back all the way to the beginning, if you remember, we explained that the Viceroy asked for three things. He asked for a horse, he asked for money, and he also asked for a servant. And those three things represented physical, intellectual, and the Menuchas HaNefesh to be able to go out and find the princess. And now we're saying that in the past, he left the horse behind and he went in to go find her. Now at this point, the servant is hiding. So the servant represents the intellect. 
And what we have to know here is that these troops that the princess is coming with, right? She's coming with a whole group of servants and she has a chariot and all these people, all these soldiers are coming with her. The best lover, Mashbiyam, teach us that all of the pomp and the ceremony that the Yitzhahara presents is actually nothing. We've learned this before that, you know, that like when we get there to Shemayim, we're going to find out after 120 that we, we thought the Yitzhahara was something so tremendous and so big. And then you're going to find out that it was like literally just like a piece of hair, like Kichot HaSara. It's going to be nothing. And we're going to say, how on earth could it be that we thought it was like so pompous and so big and so in our face? So the Visroy who represents what we had said, the tzaddik within us, the inner tzaddik, the deepest of the deepest part of it, the holiness, he, when he's awake, he's always on and he's always searching for the princess and he wants to do something. But the only way that the Yitzhahar can actually get to him is when he's sleeping. So when he falls asleep, here he comes to try to go get him. Rabbi Nachman teaches us that in response to this, to this interaction, the servant runs to hide. So now let's try to understand a little bit what the servant represents. So if the servant represents the intellect. When the intellect hides, it actually shifts our gear from an intellectual perspective of searching for Hashem to a, a way of finding Hashem through emuna, And not just emuna, emuna pshuta, simple faith. Using your emuna pshuta to be able to find and free the princess is how it's going to go about now. It's going to go down that way. It's not going to go down in an intellectual plan. You know, like when, when people are like preparing for a football game. I don't know how this goes because I'm not such a sports fan, but like there's like descriptions and there's like a design of like where everybody's supposed to stand and then he throws the ball to this one and then quarterback catches it and throws it to this one. I'm pretending because I don't really know football, but that there's, there's a real strategy to finding the princess. Here we're saying when the princess actually shows up in her chariot with the servants and with all of the army of the Yitzhahara, the intellect hides, the intellect goes away. And all that's left is your Munapshuta. And with these words, the Tatik is actually teaching us an amazing thing. It's saying that when you're, when you're met with questions and with challenges and doubts that really eat away at who you are, instead of seeking like an intellectual approach of trying to find it, what you need to do is you need to go into the deepest most concealed part of who you are. You need to tap into that Amunapshuta, to that simple faith, and that's what's going to lead you back to finding the princess. So as soon as the chariot approaches, it says the servant hides. It means the intellect goes away. When things get really, really difficult, you can just say like, there's no intellectual response to this chaos. There must be something deeper. And what reminds us that there is something deeper is that the princess arrives with all these soldiers. Now, what does that mean that she comes with all these troops? Remember, she's the lost princess. She's hidden from us. So she has all these servants and all these troops. Why? Why, do they need, why does she need to schlep them? Why do they need to schlep her? Why do they have to go together? And this is possibly one of the deepest things that I have learned from this book is that what we're saying here is that wherever they go, she must go as well. The battery pack for evil like the, the extra charger that the evil needs is the princess. That evil itself, the Yitzhahara and the root of all evil, doesn't have source of energy on its own. It needs to be plugged into the princess. It needs to be charged by the princess. So really, if they are to go, then the princess has to go. For she is their source of energy. So this could sound very tragic. Like, 
Here she is. She's being schlepped along by all the soldiers. Whenever they wanted to go out, she had to come with them because she was literally the charger. I don't know if any of you guys walk around with chargers, but like forever I'm walking around with chargers. Like, I don't know where they go, right? So they, she needs to come along with them. So that sounds very tragic. But what's very deep here, and this is what I said is probably my favorite part, is that means that whenever you see tons of evil, tremendous darkness, you know that there's a princess behind there. It has to be when there's darkness, when there's difficulty, when there's chaos, when there's sickness, and there's something that seems so terrible, their source, their energy is derived from something deeper and from something positive and something holy, just like our lost princess. So that means that wherever you find those troops of impurity, underneath there you can discover that lost princess of holiness, that lost princess of youth. You could find life and you can find vitality, which is to me like, whoa, brains on the floor. So the Yetzirah has this, has only derives this energy from something positive. And that means whenever there's evil underneath there, if you remove the, the schmutz and the dirt, there's something very, very holy there. Um, so then what happens is that she recognizes him. She recognized him and Rabbi Nachman teaches us that he, even though the Viceroy made so many mistakes and slept for 70 years, and I don't know how he did in age, but he still was recognizable. That means that no matter how many errors we make and no matter how much damage we've done or our actions have done to us, there's no such thing as like spiritual rock bottom because you'll always be able to be discovered. So the princess was able to find him when he was in the muck, when he was like in the, like the dirtiest of the dirtiest, the lowest of the lowest. And we have to believe that it doesn't matter however much dirt we have in our face, we'll always be able to be recognized by Hashem, by the Shekhinah, um, and we'll always be able to continue our Vodah Hashem. So it's definitely a powerful, uplifting moment when she recognizes him. And don't think that like, oh my gosh, I fell so far away from Hashem, Hashem doesn't even know where I am. Hashem always knows who you are. Even when you're in the dirt, even when you're involved in Averis, Hashem is like, hi, I know who you are, right? Um, okay, so now his failure to free the princess now actually required a little bit more help and she is going to help him. And what is she going to do? She actually does something really incredible. So she starts to cry and she says, oh my gosh, you had so many difficulties, right? You've endured so much pain and so much trouble just to kind of find, just, just to come and free me. So she begins to cry and she really, really cries while she's saying this. And she says, I really, I take great pity upon you. And for, I was held captive for so long and I'm not able to leave and I need you to come get me. So what does she do? Hi, Nicole. She then took the scarf from her head. Okay, she was wearing a mitpahat, right? Uh, like a cool headscarf. And she takes it off and she wrote on it with her tears, which is an incredible like parable. Let's try to understand what that means. She then placed it next to him and she went on her chariot and then she traveled on. So then she continued. So what was her intention by leaving her hair, her headscarf written with her tears? She's giving him like a secret code. Like, you remember like back in the days, like Magic Ink? I don't know if they still have that. Um, when I was a kid, like every like carnival, like one of the prizes on the carnival table was Magic Ink, right? So, you know, you, you could have Magic Ink pen and it disappears and you have to write with it and you have to look up in the sun, you're able to see it. So she does this kind of magic trick. She takes her headscarf. So her intention is really to encourage him and to remind him that he's desired by Hashem and that she's waiting for him to come and she really, really cares for him. And 
this princess, this like who represents our holy passion and our youth, which we spoke about all the way in the beginning of the series, that this princess represents that kid who is so excited for Shabbos, the kid who can't wait for Shabbos party, the kid who can't wait to sit at Rosh Hashanah and sing, dip the apple in the honey. Like that is like the deepest of the deepest Torah, right? So here we have this princess who's waiting for the Viceroy to come and, 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 and pull her out of this place that's like this entrappings of the Yitzhahara. And he's the Nakutatova. He's that Pintalayid that inside of every single one of us, deep down underneath, somewhere inside of us, we have that. And um, this is Rabbi Nachman's way of like opening up our hearts to show us that it's never lost. And even if you think it's lost, Hashem is going to come help you find it. The Shekhinah, the lost princess, is coming to, 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 to discover you, to find out who you are. So now she pours out her heart and she writes on this headscarf, she writes with tears. So we learn um, from Rabbi Nachman that the fact that these tear-soaked words were wrote on this, what do these words represent? He explains that these words represent Pnimi Satora, which is, if you want to call it Kabbalah, if you want to call it Hasidus, whatever it is, these words are the deepest of the deep, the inner dimension of the Torah where Hashem can be experienced in the deepest manner. And what's the connection between the headscarf and the teachings of Tzadikim? So let's try to understand how is Kabbalah and Panimi Torah and Hasidus related to the headscarf? So how is it possible for, um, for us to understand also Panimi Torah? So that's the question. So Rabbi Nassim explains that um, that in order to allow the lowest of the Jew, the Jew who's in the muck, who's in the dirt, who's sleeping for 70 years, to access the secrets of the Torah, the tzaddikim create garments, okay? They create clothing, they create layers. I don't know if they're in the mall somewhere or maybe we should make a TYH clothing line. Hmm, maybe we should make a TYH clothing line. Um, or at least TYH headscarves. Yaakov, get on that. Um, the tzaddikim created garments which allow the most powerful spiritual lights to filter through in a manner not causing damage to the yearning eyes. So these teachings are kind of like their garments, their layers, they're protecting the deepest of the deepest, right? Okay. Oh, they're <laughs> yes, they're at American Dream Mall. Of course they are. Um, the teachings are actually like kind of like hidden in these garments. So they're parables, they're stories, they're mushals. They're like all different shapes and sizes of ways to get you into Panimisa Torah that are not like the classic Gemara, Mishnayis, um, Navi, right? The Tzadikim aren't, and, and the way that we can, we can tap into that Panimis is through the Tzadikim. So the Tzadikim themselves are kind of like this vessel or let's say this garment that gets us to understand Pneumia Satora. So when we connect to a tzaddik, and by the way, this is very important for us to know at this level, like what does it mean when we connect to a tzaddik? For those of you who know me, I go to the aisle once a week and I feel very much connected to that place, right? Where I feel like I have a, you know, I have better connection, I have better service to Hashem. That's because the tzaddikim are there as vessels to be able to help us get to where we need to when it comes to Pneumia Satora. Because Pneumia Satora is very difficult to understand. This book is a vessel, right? Here, this book that we're learning right now is a way for us, is a garment for us to learn the deepest of the deeps. So Rabbi Nachman chooses a mitpachat, okay, which is a headscarf, right? A garment that's related to the head to convey this message 
that these teachings will grant the Jew a new consciousness, okay? So it's like on your head, right? Maybe this is why we can understand a little bit why we wear headscarves, why we wear techels, why we wear shaitals, right? Because the head represents something that gives us new consciousness. Under here, there's something very, very deep happening, right? It's like pulsing with life right here. And it gives us an elevated way of processing the world around us. So he, she says, you need help. You need Hasidus. You need Pneumas Torah. You need to figure out a way to extract me, to, to pull the plug from the Yitzhahara. I'm going to teach it to you with this headscarf, and I'm going to write with it in tears. So the Tzadikim are kind of like what are, they are the vessel to be able to teach us this. Uh, and Rabbi Nachman is teaching us that um, the every letter that she wrote was written with tears. So those were like the letters of, let's say, the Shechina, right, of Hashem, that she wrote there with tears. So um, in the past, these teachings have not been accessible to the masses, right? A few years ago, a few hundred years ago, well, actually maybe like around 300 years ago, around the time of Baal Shem Tov, but before that, these teachings were not something that was disclosed to every year. It's not something that we needed for our soul, but it's very, very clear. Um, it's, it's something that came clear to me, and I think the world is starting to see it, that Rabbi Nachman was actually speaking to our generation when he wrote this story. We are the, gen the final generation before Mashiach comes, and the focus of our teachings during this time are of Panimi Satora, are of Hasidus, um, are stemming from the Zohar, are coming from the teachings of the Ramchal and the Rashash and the Vilna Gon and the Maharal and the Arizal. These are teachings that are now being taught and now being are now being learned by the masses. And the Baal Shem Tov, obviously the founder of the Hasidic movement, pushed it even more so. But this is something that our generation needs. So why is it so important for our generation in particular to be exposed to this kind of learning as opposed to previous generations? So when the princess gives the scarf and she writes on it with her tears. That scarf is to give him an elevated level of consciousness to be able to digest Panimia Satora. She now is telling him that what is going to get you out are these words, and I'll tell you what those words are. So really more so than any time in history, this is what the Jewish people need. The heart and the minds of the Jewish people have all these negative you know, passions coming from the outside world. And Hashem has granted our generation just because he gave us difficulties. Hashem saying, yeah, maybe I made it hard for you, but I'm also going to make it easier for you because I'm going to allow you to learn Panimus Torah. And this elevated awareness really allows us, allows our generation to overcome the desires and the anxieties that we're all suffering from right? Anxiety was never a word that like our grandparents used. It's a word that we use now. This is all part of like what we need to use Panimi Satora to help us from. Um, and this is really what she's getting at. This is what she's striving at. Okay, so we're going to move along a little bit in the story and we're going to try to understand um, um, how, okay, I'm not going to get into this whole part, but there's a part of the book where it's saying that our educators and our teachers need to really hear this. They need to hear that you know, kids are struggling in school and falling out of their Yiddishkeit because they're not connected. We have to recognize that they need the battery life of Pneumia Satora and they need the teachings of Hasidus and the Midrash and the Agada. And um, I really believe that our generation needs the teachings of Bressel Hasidus in particular to be able to get us through the difficulties that we are struggling with. Um, okay, that's just my personal thing. Okay, so now what we're going to say is, now we're going to continue with what she tells him in the tears, um, what she writes in her tears. So she says, after this, 
the viceroy woke up and he asked his servant, um, where in the world am I? Okay. Um, the servant told him, the viceroy, he had the entire story about how many soldiers that had passed and the chariot and the princess and her great crying and her grief. And suddenly he looked and he noticed that the headscarf was next to him. He said, where's this from? And the servant answered that the princess had written on it with his tears. And the viceroy took the scarf, he held it up to the sun, and he began to see letters, right? Magic ink. Um, at this time, it says, um, she's no longer at the previous palace. She's been, the location, she has been moved. The princess has been moved from her previous location. Rather, you will need to search for a mountain of gold and a palace of pearls, and there you will find me. Okay, so this kidnapping um, episode is going on a little bit longer than we thought. And now, now she's no longer at that palace, right? The palace that was beautiful, the facade of evil, right? The palace of Amalek, the palace of the Itzahara. She's no longer there. Now she's in this, she has, he has to find for a mountain, he has to find a mountain of gold and a palace of pearls, and that's where we're going to find me. Um, the servant fills him in and tells him what happened. And she, he says, like, you know, you fell, you fell real, real deep. You fell into a sleep for 70 years. Um, so in order for him to read this, he actually, he recognized that it was made with tears. So he has, he like looks up to the light to be able to see what it says. And if Viceroy did not hold the scarf up to the sun, he'll never be able to see the written words of the princess. So what does this mean? Why does he have to look at the light? What does the light represent? Obviously you're starting to get the hang of this, that every single thing is a muscle for something even deeper. And we learn from the breast of Mashbiyam that the only way for us to experience the inner light of the Torah and the teachings of the tzaddikim is by having faith in their power. We have to believe in our tzaddikim. We have to believe in a deeper power. So it's not just like, oh, I'm giving you, this sounds like a tragic fairy tale, right? Um, like, okay, you didn't find me now, so now you have to go to the palace and you have to find me with gold and pearls and all that stuff. But the moment that you recognize the deepness of this story is the moment that you're able to connect closer to Hashem. And that sun is not just like, oh, magic ink. The sun really symbolizes the greatest revelation of Hashem's divine teaching. And the viceroy, he holds it up the scarf to symbolize that he has a deep faith in the tzaddikim and the teachings of the tzaddikim. And those teachings contain the deepest most elevated information that he needs, and he is going to go with it. He's not going to just leave it as is. He's actually going to pursue the princess by these teachings. And she says, you're going to need to search for a mountain of gold and a palace of pearls, and that's where you're going to find me. And Hashem, I'm sorry, Chazal teach us, and this is the lines of the words, and this is what I'm waiting to get for, these famous, famous words. Chazal teach that in the place where Abal Teshuvah stands, even a perfect tzaddik cannot stand. And we want to be a Baal Teshuvah. When a Jew who sinned and made mistakes and he overcomes all the obstacles and of all the seductions of this world, the main thing is not to despair, to do Teshuvah, return to your Abu Hashem, return to where you were. And that is the greatest honor that Hashem can experience in this world. So you could do everything right and you could be that perfect, righteous person. You could be that tzaddik and that's amazing. But you could be a person who could fall and fall and fall and fall and drop and drop and drop and drop and go lower and lower. And that is a person that Hashem says is the greatest of all. Nicole, I wish I could break out in song right now. Um, in fact, according to the Zohar, it says that um, the, the person who has the deepest, what gives Hashem the ultimate, ultimate, Honor is when we fall 
and we recognize that we made a mistake and then we come back even stronger. So it's saying that our yearning and our courage to be able to return to Hashem is the greatest level of commitment. You know, because a tzaddik can be doing it out of fear. He really could. He could be so scared. Principal's in the room. Oh my gosh, sit up, sit, sit up straight, right? Okay, I'm a tzaddik. I'm a perfect person. I get straight A's and everything is great. Or you could be a little troublemaker and you could have made some mistakes and then you recognize that you want to be closer to the teacher. You want to be closer to Hashem and then you come to do it out of love. There's nothing greater and more courageous to Hashem than a Baal because that's a person who does it out of love. Um, and what's incredible is that the, this is so important because this teaches us something very, very deep. It teaches us that the primary intention of the Yitzhahara, what the Yitzhahara wants to do, the Yitzhahara doesn't, he doesn't just want us to sin. He wants us to sin and then be depressed about it. He wants us to sin and to fall and to say like, oh, forget this. Like, oh, I messed up on Shabbos. Like, forget Shabbos as a whole. That's his goal. He doesn't know that deep down we have a Nukuzatova, we have that little spark inside of us that says, you know what, go back, do it again. It's okay, you're gonna be okay. That's what kills the Yitzhahara, because the Yitzhahara is like, oh, I got you. You spoke, you know, you went off your diet for like one day and you're like, meh, the whole day's gone, right? No, he doesn't want, he wants to do that, but we're gonna prove him wrong. We're gonna show him that, no, that's not what it is. Um, okay, so now, he is about to find her, but where does he find her? He finds her in the mountain of gold and pearls. So what are the pearls and what, is that, what, what does that represent, right? It's interesting because like you think about, you know, gold and you have to mine to get gold, right? Um, and you have to, and a, and a pearl, right? A pearl is created out of, out of a parasite that enters an oyster and then they build, you know, something around it to protect it. So it could be the ugliest thing, but it's one of the most precious things, right? Like Chanel's like long string, I'm like, I'm like, that's, that's what I want, right? I want a long strand of pearls with like a little Chanel logo, or maybe like a little TYH logo, right? Um, so what's the representation of the gold and the representation of the pearls? So the gold is, pure gold is, I, I didn't know so much about this, but I learned about it in the book. It's actually mined from a muddy mountain, right? Um, I'm thinking of blood diamonds, but not diamonds. I'm thinking of, so, so let's talk about gold, right? Pure gold is mined from, the, from a muddy mountain, and there, the princess here tells the viceroy of a much greater awareness that your ability to do shuva to the point where you can enter the realm where you know that the entire journey was there for you. That when you're digging and digging and digging and then you recognize that the entire mountain is actually gold, that is the wow factor. That's where you can say, I've been through so many challenges and so many difficulties and Hashem threw so much difficulty in Parnassah and he difficulty with infertility and he difficulty with, with, with my relationships, whatever it is. But I'm recognizing now that all my collective challenges actually created a mountain of gold. So when the viscera starts to dig and starts to find her, he's recognizing, one second, this entire journey, this whole challenge of me trying to find her and then falling asleep and then finding her and then falling asleep again and having to travel to the desert and the forest and the fields, all of that is gold. That's the coolest part because you're like, whoa, this was all tailor-made for me and this is actually all gold. That is amazing. And after complete chuba, he's going to come to this amazing awareness that the mountain itself is made out of gold and it's shining brilliantly from one end of the world to the other. And all of a sudden you have this clarity that you could see from one end of the world to the other. 
And that's the Aragonas. That's very, very deep. That's when you can see that all the difficulties that you've endured are all part of the journey. Um, and all the setbacks and all, all the setbacks and all the difficulties that he, and all the errors that he made were all for that realization to something more, more valuable. And then she says, you have to find the mountain of gold and the palace of pearls. Okay, so the mountain we understand. And now the palace of pearls. So the palace is made out of pearls. Pearls, like we said, are formed from when like a foreign entity comes into this oyster, to the clam, and it begins to irritate the flesh of the clam. And then it starts to protect it with, um, with calcium and with protein. Don't worry, I did not know this, even though I, I should know this. But over a period of time, there's a layer that forms over this parasite, and that's how the pearl is formed. So natural pearls are really one of the most precious things that we have out there in life. And a shining pearl is not just beautiful and smooth and looks amazing when it's stranded. It actually is caused from a process that looked like it was bad and then turns into something good. So when we see it in that way, the palace of pearls, it just embodies the same lesson as the mountain of gold. It's after all this pain and all this confusion, and all these setbacks, now I'm realizing that I have so much spiritual fulfillment from this whole journey. And when the Viceroy can reach that level of teshuva and achieve that awareness of the Golden Mountain and the Palace of Pearls, that is where he's going to find the princess. Um, so we're actually gonna stop here because um, we got to discuss a lot of information and I feel like I want you to all to digest it. Um, we are going to end here. Um, I think I should post a swipe up to the Bali Chuba song because um, it's definitely my top three. Um, and it's a really, really powerful song. And if you listen to the words, you'll hear as one of the part of the songs is actually Vidoy, where Ashamnu, Baganu, Gazalnu, where we say that we've made mistakes and we want to be Balchuba. So it's really, really the deepest of the deep. So thank you so much for joining. Um, and I will see you here next week. Um, Holy Babka, I love that name. That's a great name. Um, this is the book, The Story of Our Lives. If you want, um, send me a message on TOH or on my Instagram, Piggy Bloom. Piggy Bloom. Um, and yes, I will send you a link. Holy Babka, send me a message. I'll send you a link to the book. Um, Bernice, I'm so glad that you purchased it. And um, it was really nice to see you all. So next week, we're going to talk about the, um, the last leg of his journey where he starts to meet several giants and they, um, they take him to the end. They take him to the princess. So stay tuned for next week. Thank you so much for joining. I hope you all get to listen to the CD and um, I'll see you later. Take care.